We've been talking about thankfulness, and uh, last week we kind of talked about the idea of why we are to be thankful. Uh, for the next three weeks, I'm going to deal with eight different things we should be thankful for. I, I struggled with that because uh, when I think of being thankful for God, I, I don't want to call him a thing. Uh, but it was hard to come up, so I ate focuses, things you focus on, issues you focus on uh, to be thankful for, and we're going to be talking about this morning. Uh, this week, my granddaughter, Juliet, goes to school at DVC, college over there, and uh, she came home this week one night, and she said, I am so thankful for my family. She didn't say, and she was talking about Darlene and I and our relationship with her and uh, the relationship we have there at home. She didn't go into great detail about why she's thankful. She just said, I, you know, I talk to these other students and I'm around the other students and I'm just thankful for my family. And I think sometimes we can be thankful for someone or something without having to say this is the reason or they did this for me, or they did that for me. So often when we're thankful, it's what somebody else does for us, and it tends to come back to who we are. But I think, you know, in terms of our relationship with God, it, it, it begins with either praising him for who he is or being thankful for who he is. And we don't have to express all the reasons. Just thankful for who he is. Um, in the next three weeks, just give you kind of an outline. Uh, we're going to start this morning discussing uh, we're thankful for who God is, and then we're thankful for what he's done. We're going to talk about the fact that he created us and that uh, he gave us salvation because of the fact that man has fallen. We're going to talk next week about being thankful for the word and being thankful for answered prayer and victory over sin, and then on the 8th, it's going to be kind of a Sunday where we bring it all together and we're going to talk about our family and our friends and our daily needs and how God supplies and meets those needs and that we have so much to be thankful for. But that just gives you an idea of where we're going to be going in the next uh, three weeks. And, you know, when we begin to talk about this first topic of being thankful for who God is, we thank Him and praise Him for who He is. Boy, we could spend weeks and months and years on that one. There is so much there that uh, it would consume a huge amount of time. And so we're just really, all of these, we're just touching the surface on them. But I think it's so important that we understand uh, being thankful. I'm going to be looking through a lot of different verses this morning. I encourage you to write them down. If you're quick at looking things up, you can go with me to those verses. The first ones I want to read to you comes from... 1 Chronicles chapter 29, 1 Chronicles 29, and uh, just the 10th through the 13th verses, and let me, uh, let me read to you from this passage. David is uh, coming towards the end of his time as king. Uh, he has built this beautiful palace that he has. I understand that if you actually saw the palace, it wouldn't be that huge in terms of today's standards and some of the things we've seen. But it was a beautiful palace, and then he said, wow, here I am living in this house, and we've got God over here in a tent in the tabernacle, and, and God's house should be better than my house. You think that sometimes about the church? It ought to be better than where I live. We should have a better place for God than that, and, and we know today the temple of God is within the, uh, the body of Christ. 
But David felt, I, I need to have something. And God came back to David and he said, no, David, uh, too much blood on your hands. Uh, you're not the one to build the temple. Your son will. And Solomon will. And so David accepted that and he began to acquire different materials that they were going to need for this wonderful temple that they were going to build for God. And in verse 10, David begins to praise God and it says, So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all of the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty Wow, he just begins to go through the list of who God is and, and what he's like. And he said, indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is dominion, O Lord. You are sovereign, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as a head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. And in your hand is power, might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, and here's the verse. Now, therefore, as a result of all these things that David just said about God, now, therefore, our God, we thank you. And we praise your glorious name. We give you thanks just thinking of who you are and what you've accomplished. And, you know, if we go back and we begin to look at the attributes of God and we think of who he is, it's amazing, this individual. There's no way that we could totally comprehend everything about him, but... I just thought about it. I think of those omni attributes. First of all, I think of the fact that he's everywhere present. There isn't anywhere I can go that he's not there. I, I might try and run for him, or I may feel that I have separated myself from everybody and everything else, and God's there. Your kids go off to school. They go off someplace else. They move out of your home, and guess what? God's still with them. There isn't anywhere that they can go that God isn't there, and we know that God cares for us. We know that God is also all-powerful, that there isn't anything God can't do, and whatever we're running up against and whatever issues we're dealing with, God has the power to meet those issues. And we just need to stop and realize that. Sometimes we get so caught up with the issues that we don't see God, and we don't see what he's doing. It's kind of like you have somebody out there and you're looking at him, and I have Daniel right here, and I can see Daniel, but I put my thumb up like this and close my eyes, and all of a sudden, all I see is my thumb. And that's how we view life a lot of times. We fail to see God because we're catching a vision of that which is right in front of us that we're going through, or whatever the issues are, the pain we're going through, and we forget that we have a God who's all-powerful, who carries us through those things, and meets our needs, and loves us. He is, boy, he's sovereign. He is the supreme ruler of the universe. He is infinite. He's eternal. He's without beginning. He's without end. And we look at all those and we see those magnificent things, but God is also love. You know that? God loves us. God cares about us as individuals. He is truth. That means that when God makes a promise, he's going to carry through with it. He is, everything about God is true. Everything he says is true. Everything he does is true. God is is holy. He's just. He's not going to mislead or do anything that is in opposition to what is correct or what is right. In Psalms 106, in the first verse, it makes this statement. 106, verse 1, it says, Praise the Lord. 
Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And his loving kindness never ends. It is always there. We get another picture of who God is. I don't know if you've read the 139th Psalm lately, but I would encourage you, or if you've not read the 139th Psalm, to go back there this week sometime and just read through it and, and keep a pencil and paper handy and write everything down that you see about God. But in Psalms 139, beginning in the 7th verse through the 12th verse, it says, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? He's omnipresent. It doesn't matter where it is. If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, if I die, if, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day, and darkness and light are alike to you. They're not a problem for you, Father. You know, when I was a, a child, I had a fear of the darkness. I didn't like it when we'd go into the bedroom, and I'd have to go in there all alone and turn the lights off. That bothered me when I was very small. And I'd think, Mom, Dad, where are you? I need somebody in here. But the fact was, I needed to have a full comprehension of the fact that even though it was dark, God was there. And there was no darkness in his eyes. In Psalms 138, the first two verses, it says, I will give you thanks with all my heart. I will give you thanks, Father, with all my heart. I will sing praises to you before the gods. I will bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and truth. And so we are called to give thanks to God for who he is and what he's done and what he's accomplished. In the 100th Psalm, in verses 4 and 5, 100th Psalm 100 is his great praise song. But in verses 4 and 5, it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving. You come in here in the morning, let's enter with thanksgiving in his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For God is good. And his loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. And I just say today that God is worthy of our praise. Praise and thanksgiving go together. But I don't think you can really praise without thanksgiving if there's no appreciation, if there's no, boy, God, thank you for what you've accomplished. Thank you for what you've done for me. There is no real opportunity to praise him. We need to recognize who he is. In the 80s, the Imperials uh, Quartet sang a song about thanking God for who he is, not just the things he's done. I want to read it to you. It says, uh, singing as if they're speaking to God, you spoke the words and all of the worlds came into order. You waved your hands and the planets filled the empty skies. You placed the woman and the man into, inside the garden, and though they fell, they found compassion in your eyes. Oh, Lord, I stand amazed at the wonder of your deeds, and yet a greater wonder brings me to my knees. Lord, I praise you because of who you are, and not just for all the mighty things you've done. Lord, I worship you because of who you are. You're the reason that I need to voice my praise because of who you are. One holy night, you brought the promise from a virgin, 
And the promise grew, and he revealed to us your heart, enduring love displayed throughout his crucifixion. And in the dark, you tore the grave and death apart. Oh, Lord, I stand amazed at the wonder of your deeds, and yet a greater wonder brings me to my knees. Lord, I praise you because of who you are. Not just for all the mighty deeds deeds and things that you've done. Lord, I worship you because of who you are. You're all the reason that I need to voice my praise because of who you are. And I believe that our thanksgiving and our praise begins with who he is. And we get caught up with the world in which we live and the things going on around us and the things that are happening to us and the events that are there and we fail to truly focus on who he is. Thanks begins with who God is. And when we thank him for who he is because we look at all of those attributes, then we just naturally go to thank him for the wondrous things he's done. What has he accomplished? What are the things that have been done through God in Psalms 90 or in Psalms chapter 9 verses 1 and 2 it says I will give thanks to the Lord with all of my heart I will tell of all of your wonders I will be glad and exalt in you oh I will sing praise to your name O most high you know as we look at the universe today I think it determines the fact that there has to have been a creator The Bible is pretty clear that you can't look at the creation without understanding the need for a creator. It doesn't work otherwise. A lot of people that are trying to come to understand how the universe came into existence and all the things that happened are really trying to do it without the idea that there is someone who was an intelligent individual who designed it all and put it into place. And if we would simply go back and understand that there is this great designer, there is this God who created it, Boy, it would change everything in terms of how we look at life and look at the universe and look at the creation. Psalms 19 is is a great psalm that talks about the creation. And we give thanks to God for who he is, but also for what he's done. And it says the heavens are telling of the glory of God. And their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Uh, You go outside and... You lift up a telescope at night in an area where there is not a lot of light and you can see into the heavens and it's amazing when you begin to look at the creation of the universe. The stars that are there, what God created. You go back to Genesis chapter 1. It talks about how it all started. It says in the beginning God, and let me just say this, God never created the Bible to be a scientific textbook. Can I say that? But everywhere it touches on science is true. And this is one of the the problems is is that we want to compare it against what all of the individuals are saying about this and that, and we miss what the Bible is saying. So we come back to Genesis chapter 1, and it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God, and this is where we see the Holy Spirit beginning to move first, was moving over the surface of the waters, and then God said that there be light. 
There was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning in one day. Verse 6, God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the uh, from the waters, and God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below and the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so, and God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning, and there was a second day, and God said that the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so, and God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And he said, let the earth sprout vegetation and plants and yielding seeds and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation and plants and yielding seed after their kind and the trees bearing fruit and seed in them and after their kind. And God saw that it was good and it was evening and there was morning and a third day, and it goes on, and it talks about the next six days, about how God created in the heavens the moon for night and the stars for night and the sun for the day, and it gives us light and it gives us warmth, and then it talks about how in the sea he created the sea creatures and he created the birds for the air. In the sixth day, he began to create land animals and ultimately man. But, you know, it, it, it talks about how God did it, and that's the interesting thing because it says he simply spoke it into existence. He said, let us make, and he did. You see, he is the cause. We can say he's the first cause, but he is the only cause. He is a God who is orderly. He is a God who has a plan. I remember when I was building uh, houses years ago, and we would draw up blueprints. Uh, that was one of the things that I did is I would draw up the prints for the houses that I would build, and and they were orderly. They were organized. The Those who were working on them would pull out the prints, and they would say, this is how it is. God's that engineer. God is that contractor that has put the world and the universe into existence. And we begin to understand who he is. I want to go back to Psalms 19 again. And in Psalms 19, beginning with the first verse, it talks about this creation in the sun. It said, the heavens are telling the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day by day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. And in them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of its chamber. And it rejoices as a strong man to run its course, going across the heavens each day. Rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. You know, it's amazing how God created the sun. It isn't that the sun rises and the sun sets. We talk about it. I see pictures of sunrises and sunsets all the time. But that's how we vision it, isn't it? It's really our earth that's turning and spinning. And uh, it turns on the axis so that every day, 
You know, you can go online or you can go on onto the weatherman, and they will tell you for where you live the exact time the, time the sun is coming up and the exact time that it appears to go down. And it'll go all through the year. Because of the axis, it tips, and we know that there is spring and summer and winter and fall. And it didn't just happen. That is so organized. It, it, is, it, it wouldn't happen except for some intellectual being putting it together. And making it take place, and that's God. Boy, if you're planning activities, you, you don't want to get out and go too early in the morning because it's still dark, but you can go early in the summer because there's more light. And so we plan our days around what God has created. And we need to give thanks for that. Uh, you can go down to the coast. You go down to Bodega Bay or anywhere there, and you can pick up a, uh, a little chart that will tell you the tides. You know, they can tell us exactly when there's going to be a high tide, when there's going to be a low tide. They can tell you when it's slack. That's probably a good time to go fishing. A lot of fishermen are out there during the slack tide because it isn't running this way or it's running that way. You know when there are going to be extremely high tides in the pluses, and you also know when there's going to be minus tides and when it's going to be very low. And I always like those. If you're up in Oregon and uh, and the Washington coastline, you go out with that the Tides are out far enough. You can go out and dig in the sand. You pull up razor clams about an inch, 12 inches long. Wow, they're good. You go home and clean them up, and you eat them, and you have breakfast. And what a great time. But it's because God created everything in order. You go out during the low tides. You can go out in the rocks and the tidal pools you see things you don't normally see during the day if you want to go down and you want to explore along the beach that's the best time get a get a, a, a schedule on the tides and go down there in the the greatest minus tide so that you can get out and see what's there but it's because of how god created it and so we give thanks i think a lot of times we just say oh yeah i've got a minus tide today let's go dig clams or Let's go down to the bay and find out what's in the bay, and you can get your um, little butter clams, those little steamers, and you, you pull those up, or you go out in the bay and you get the, the horse neck clams. You can tell I'm from up in the Oregon area because those are the ones that are there. But uh, you go out there because you know when it's going to happen. The problem is that humanity, instead of worshiping God for what he's created begins to become so consumed with the creation and how it came into existence, it tends to forget who God is and not give God the glory that is his and not thank him for what he has done for us. And that's when humanity begins to run into problems because we forget about God. In Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. It says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. God made it evident to them. They are aware of the fact that there is God. But since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, those things we praise him for, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, even though they saw the creation, even though they saw what could not be made without 
intellect, without this an amazing being who's all-powerful and omniscient and omnipresent, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. And they professed to be wise and they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for the image and form of corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And they failed to understand who God was. And they failed to give him credit for what he had done. And they fall away. One thing God wants us to do, and I really believe this is God's will, is we give him credit and we thank him and we praise him for who he is. And as you walk away from here today, I hope that you just take some time to look at the creation Go out tonight when there's a sunset and, and look at the beauty of that sunset and realize that that's based on what God did and what he created. And take time to give thanks for what he has done. First Chronicles chapter 16 talks about giving thanks. In the 34th verse, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his loving kindness is everlasting. Third thing, we give thanks for who God is. We give thanks for what he has done. We give thanks that he created us, that we are part of that creation process. In Genesis 1, it, it begins in the uh, 26th verse. And it says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea. He's given us a responsibility to oversee the creation here on the earth, over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God created them, and he said, Oh, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. He gave us, God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed and it shall be a food for you and to every beast on the earth and every bird of the sky and everything that moves on the earth which has life. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, and the sixth day. At Psalms 139, we looked at it briefly, but I want to go back there. It is such an amazing passage concerning our relationship with God and who he is. And let me just read to you a short passage here, verses 13 to 18. Talks about our creation. It says, you, for you formed my inward parts. God, you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it so very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. 
My eyes have seen my unformed, your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book there were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they would outnumber the sand. And when I awake, I'm still with you. I go to bed at night and I go to sleep. And when I wake up in the morning, there's a reason to give thanks because I'm still there. And God's still there. He created us. It says he has more thoughts about you and me as individuals than all the sand on the seashore. I want to read to you that same passage from uh, the New Living Translation. I, I just like the way it's written. I, I, I think it's good to get different translations and do comparisons and see how they've been translated. And you'll find that they're all the same, but the wording's a little different. Sometimes some of them are made for you to understand a little better. Others are more specific, like I use the New American Standard in terms of literal translation. But in Psalms 139, beginning in verse 13, it says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit them together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, and how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They are innumerable. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up in the morning... You're still there with me. Isn't that amazing when we think of what God did? You know, somebody made a statement one day. He said, God don't make no junk. That means when God created us, he didn't mess up. I think so often we look in the mirror and say, oh, I wish this was changed a little bit or that was a little bit different or I wish my life was different in some way or another. And we need to stop and give thanks for who we are. So often our self-esteem dips so far down because we fail to understand who we are in terms of God's creation and that he created us and he knows every day of our life and he knows what we go through and he knows what we experience. And he loves you and he loves me. And we need to understand that. You're special. You are unique. And God created you that way. And we so often allow humanity and the world in which we live to pull us down rather than understanding who we are as a result of a, being a creation of God. There's a fourth thing that we give thanks for, and that's our salvation. We give thanks for the fact that God saved us. You see, even though God created us as special beings, we do have a problem. And that problem came as a result of sin coming into our lives, and it has distorted who we are. 
in some ways. That's where we come up with the problems in our life. And uh, we need to go back and realize that God loved us so much, he made provision for us, even though we were separated from him by sin, he made provision for us to have a, a right relationship with him. Psalms 118 uh, makes a statement. It's back here in the Old Testament in uh, verse 21 to 24. Psalms 118, 21 to 24, it says, I shall give thanks to you, for you have answered me, and you have become my salvation. My salvation in so many different ways, but then he drops into verse 22, and he says, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And here is a, a prophetic statement concerning Jesus Christ, because Jesus is the cornerstone. He teaches about Christ way back here in this passage in Psalms. This is the day Lord's doing. It's a marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You know, you go back to the book of Romans. It begins to talk about what happened to humanity and what happened to you and I as, as individuals. And when sin came into our lives, it distorted our relationship with God. It changed how we see life. It changed how we live. And it changed who we are. And in uh, Romans chapter 3, beginning in the 10th verse, it says, there's no one righteous because of this sin nature. Adam, Adam fell. Adam sinned. And we as a human race were in Adam. His sin was imputed to us. And it became ours. And we're all born with that sin nature. That sin nature must be eradicated if we are to be right before God. Boy, hopeless. Romans 3, 11 and 12, it says, there is no righteousness, there is none righteous, not even one. There is, not, there is none who understands, there is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become Useless. There is none who does good, not even one. And it's talking about humanity. And it talks about each of us when we are born into this world and uh, we reach that point that we don't even normally seek after God ourselves. It's only by the wooing of the Holy Spirit that we come to God. Do you know what the Bible teaches? It teaches that our default destination at death is hell. It's where we go without God. That's, that's what we look for, have to look forward to. And so that default destination has to be changed. Romans 6:23, only God can change that destination. It says, "All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God." It says, "The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life." You see, it's God that changes our destination. It's, it's, it's God who makes it possible for us to see things differently, and so he sent his son because we couldn't be the adequate sacrifice to change our lives, to restore us to that relationship with God. He sent his son to die for us, and Jesus went to the cross as a sacrifice in our place, and he paid the penalty for the sins of the world. You know that when Jesus went to the cross, that perfect sacrifice, one who had never sinned, the Bible said there had to be the shedding of blood for the remission of sin. Uh, 
a perfect sacrifice had to die, such as the sacrificial lamb in the Old Testament, although the lamb couldn't really remove sin. It was just a lamb. But Jesus could do that. And when he went to the cross and died, he paid the sins. His death was sufficient for the sins of all the world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, it says, And he himself is the propitiation. He is the satisfaction, we could say. He himself is the satisfaction for our sins. And then it says, and not only ours, but also for those of the whole world. Christ's death was sufficient for the sins of the whole world. But the thing is, not everybody's going to be saved. Because God said that in order to accept that salvation or to receive that salvation, we have to accept it. The price is paid, it's there. But if we don't accept it, it's not ours. It's like Romans. You go back to Romans chapter 10, this, this great passage. Chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. It says, if you confess with your mouth, confess means to say the same thing God does about this. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and I want you to remember that, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart, a person believes. That's where it becomes a reality for me. It goes beyond head knowledge to the heart, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. But it's interesting that he doesn't just say that when we ask forgiveness, it's just to remove some issue in our lives. You know, we were kidnapped away from God by sin. We were his, and then because of sin, we were separated from him. But because of what Jesus Christ did, we can now be returned and we become his. We're no longer our own. We become his. In fact, we weren't our own to begin with. We'd been stolen away. But it says here, if you go back to 1 Corinthians 6, 19, let me read it for you. 19 and 20, it says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Now, let me give you what I believe is sometimes an error, oftentimes an error concerning our salvation. We have a, an issue in our life that we're struggling with. It, it may be a marriage issue. It may be a family issue. It may be an addiction. It may be any number of things. And we say, God, I want this removed. And we come and we ask God to come into our hearts and be our Savior. And we're happy with that as long as the issue is removed and we go on with our life. But it says in Romans chapter 10, if you confess me as Lord, it goes beyond the fact of just having a Savior. It says that we have been bought with a price. We now belong to Jesus Christ. That changes who we are. That changes our life. That changes everything about us. And that's what God did on our behalf. If you go back to Ephesians chapter 2, there's a great verse that I'm sure many of you could quote today. But in the 8th and ninth verses, it says, For by grace, and it's all about grace, this salvation thing is God's unmerited favor. It's something we don't deserve. I'll tell you what, folks. 
I don't deserve to go to heaven. Because I'm a sinner, I don't deserve to go to heaven. But because of God's grace, he made it possible. For by grace you have been saved. Now here's where I have to come in, through faith. Does God make it possible for me to have that faith? Yes, he does. But I still have to respond in faith. And I can give thanks to God when I do that, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not as a result of what I do, that no one should boast. And you know, when I have been saved by him, when he has become the reality in my life, my salvation, my eternal destiny is secure. In Ephesians chapter 1, down in the 13th verse, it talks about the Holy Spirit coming into my life. And it says, in him also, after listening to the message of truth, Jesus Christ, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. He secures our inheritance in eternal destiny with God, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory In other words, God reached down and through what Jesus Christ did for us, he scooped us up and he saved us. And he forgave us of our sins. But we no longer are our own. We're his. He now becomes the master. He becomes the Lord. And that's what changes our lives. If we think that we just come and say, forgive me for my sins and I'm going to go on and do all the things I've done before and it's not going to change me other than the fact I got rid of this problem I have, we've missed it. We've missed it. He becomes Lord. He becomes the, the, the power in our life. And you know, if, if God is Lord of your life and he has taken you out of that default destination to go to hell, he has changed your eternal destiny, he is there to assist you through life and to give you the grace to endure whatever you're experiencing, shouldn't you give thanks? Wouldn't that be the most natural thing in the world? Uh, I watched a, a situation on TV a few weeks ago where a man was down at one of the BART stations and he fell off of, of uh, the platform there right in front as the BART train was coming along. And one of the men that worked there at BART worked, reached down and scooped him up. And I'll tell you, I don't know how he didn't get hit. I, I think he should have lost a little hair off his head or something at least. It was so close. Wouldn't you think that man would have said thank you? Man, I expect so. I, be, I bet he was going, wow, I am so thankful for this. Thank you, thank you, thank you. He, he probably couldn't quit saying thank you. And when we think of what God did for us, and we're talking about a season of thanksgiving, shouldn't that be one of the first things we do in the morning? Father, thank you for my salvation. Thank you that I've been saved. Thank you that you're Lord of my life. How can I live for you today? Thank you. I, I, read, I, I saw thing online of a little boy, I don't know if it was a toddler, probably about 18 months old, something like that, two years. I don't remember all of the story, but there was a, he fell into a, a swimming pool, and there was a little girl there that he knew, and she was about three, and she saw him fall in, and she reached down and grabbed his hair and pulled his head up above the water so he could breathe until after, until somebody came and, and rescued him. And they were talking to this little three-year-old, and she said, "Was and, and the reporter said, well, did he thank you? And she said, no, I don't think he likes me. <laughs> Why doesn't he like you? He says, 
because it hurt when I pulled his hair. The little toddler didn't understand yet. But I hope when he gets older, he says, thank you. And when we think of what God has done for us and how he's rescued us and changed our lives, shouldn't we say thank you? It's just the most natural thing in the world to come back and say, thank you, Father. We're going to come to communion next week. And Jesus, when he broke the bread, says, this represents my body, and he thanked the Father for it. When he brought the cup, he says, this represents my blood, and he thanked the Father for it. And in essence, when we come to the communion service, what we're doing is thanking Jesus for the sacrifice he made and our eternal life. Are you thankful? This is Thanksgiving week. Are you thankful? Are you thankful, number one, for who God is? Do you praise him? That should be our most natural thing in the world. And and coming out of that, realizing who God is, then we thank him for all of the creation and all that he's done. And that's the second thing. And coming out of that, when we realize he created everything, then we naturally say, wow, you created me. And I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. But Father, I fell. Humanity fell. Adam fell. But God says it's not finished. And he sent his son to die for us. And we thank him for our salvation. Those are four things you can be thanking God for today. When you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, think in terms of those four things. Next week we're going to get into um, the other things I mentioned earlier. And, um, but it's just time to be thankful. I hope this is a, a good week for you. And as you get together in your small groups and you discuss the message this morning, that you'll think in terms of how can I be more thankful to God for what he's done for me. Let's pray. Father, praise you. You're an awesome God. Just to think of who you are. We can't even comprehend all of it, Father. We have people that have studied the attributes of God and they tell us what some of them are, and, and, and yet with those we still can't comprehend who you are. But we give thanks for who you are. We praise you for who you are. And Father, then we praise you for what you've done, the wondrous works, the creation, and the fact that you created me. And you knew about my life before I ever was born. You knew every day of my life. And you know when I'm going to go home to be with you. You know my thoughts. You know them from afar off. You know everything I think, Father. Forgive me when I don't think the right way. And Father, lift me up when I do. And Father, thank you for my salvation and for the salvation of each person here that's committed their lives to you, Father. For you are truly our Father, our God. And you show your love and your compassion to us daily. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.